I'd like to wish all of you a very happy Easter. Uh, this is an amazing time of year for all of us. And at Hope Covenant Church, we always feel this Easter service and the egg hunt and the breakfast is our gift to our community. And so uh, if you're, this is your first time with us, we are so glad to have you with us and celebrate this great day with you. My name is Dwayne Cross, and I'm the lead pastor at Hope Covenant Church. And if you don't know where we are, we're just about two and a half miles west of here on Dobson, just north of Germain. And uh, we'd have, love to have you come and join us for a service any Sunday morning at 9 or 1045. But we're here today to testify to the transforming power of God. And we've already seen that, and we've already heard that, that the transforming power of God to raise someone from the dead. Imagine that. Well, there were three friends that were talking, and somehow the conversation ended up talking about their funerals. And so the one man said, you know what? What would you guys like for people to say at your funeral? One man said, well, what I'd like them to say is that I was a good worker, I was a faithful companion, you know, I was a good man in everything I did. And they said, well, that was nice. And the second man said, well, I hope that somebody says at my funeral that I was a good family man, that I, I loved my family, I loved my children, I loved my wife. The third guy said, well, those things are great, and I respect that, but what I want somebody to say at my funeral is, look, he's moving, you know. <laughs> That's what I want somebody to say at my funeral as well. Well, Easter celebrates the most exciting event in history because at Easter, we talk about somebody who really did come back to life. Luke's gospel puts it this way. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Now, they were not expecting a risen Savior. They were going there to put spices and myrrh on a dead body. They had no expectation that he would be alive. In fact, there were supposed to be Roman guards there. They stood there at threat of death if they were to let anybody touch the tomb. And a two-ton rock was in front of the tomb. But both of those things were missing, both of them. Look at what Luke continues to say. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. I mean, that's amazing. Now, that's the account. If you're not a, a Bible or a church kind of person, that's the account of the Easter story. And what I want to say to you is that many of us that are here today believe that story from the depths of our toes. We believe that, and that's why we're here to celebrate the resurrection. But I always recognize and acknowledge that there are many of you here today that say, nah, I don't know. I'm not too sure about that story. People just don't raise from the dead. And, and you're saying, I'm, not, I'm, I'm here because, you know, uh, I was pressured by my pam family to get here, you know, happy wife, happy life, or, or, or I'm here because of the food, which was awesome, or uh, the Easter egg hunt, and I got trapped in here before I could leave from the Easter. So whatever your reason you're here, you're probably saying, I'm not sure I buy this resurrection thing. Well, this morning, I want to help you ask me, and I want to ask you two questions. The first question is this. Is there evidence that supports the fact that there actually was a man named Jesus that was raised from the dead? 
That's question number one. Is there actual evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead? And question two, if there was evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead, here's this really important question for all of us. So what? What difference does that make in our lives? How does that impact me? If Jesus 2,000 years ago was raised from the dead, what impact does that have on my life? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. So the first question is this. Is there any actual evidence that this really happened? Okay, let me tell you about this. How many of you remember Perry Mason? Okay, you're old, okay, if you raise your hand, so sorry about that. Perry Mason was my favorite lawyer. But um, who are some of the other very famous lawyers that you've heard of? Uh, Johnny Cochran, you know, the glove and all that. Or F. Lee Bailey. Uh, what are some of the favorite, favorite best attorneys you've ever heard of? Well, do you know who the most successful attorney is in history, according to the Guinness Book of World Records? An English guy by the name of Sir Lionel Lucku. Sir Lionel Lucku. Now, he died in 1997 at age 83, but he was a very prominent lawyer. And here's what he did. This is why he's in the Guinness Book of World Records. He won 245 consecutive murder trials. 245, never lost, 245 trials that he tried that he was successful in defending. The most famous lawyer in the history of the world, Sir Lionel Lucku. Now, wouldn't it be cool if he were today, here today and could give his legal opinion as to whether or not Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead. Well, here's the good news. Back in the 1980s, he was asked to do that. In fact, he was asked, they challenged him uh, to study the resurrection in sort of a courtroom setting and answer the question, is the evidence enough? Now, you need to know too that Sir Lionel Lucku was not a Christ follower, okay? So he was completely independent of this. Here's his conclusion to that question. Quote, And I say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so powerful that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. End quote. Sir Lionel Lacou. Now, after he did this investigation, guess what he did? He gave his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. I mean, this guy was a smart guy, 245 consecutive wins. He was a smart guy. He said, you know what? If there's this kind of evidence, I am going to follow Jesus. So let me give you some of his reasoning, just for a couple of minutes, that examining this question, did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? And he comes up with four real simple statements. And they all start with an E, so you can remember them. Four E's. Easy to remember. The first one is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Now, Newsweek magazine published a letter that somebody got from the South Carolina Department of Social Services a few years ago. Anybody from South Carolina? Okay, good. I won't offend anybody. Okay, so a government, this is a government organization making a major screw-up. Imagine that, right? Yeah. That would never happen in Arizona, would it? So Newsweek got this letter and published it, and it was sent to a resident of Greenville County, South Carolina. Here's what the letter said to this resident. To whom it may concern, we regret to inform you that your food stamps will be stopped effective immediately because we have received notice that you passed away. May God bless you. You may reapply if there's a change in your circumstances. <laughs> I don't know how. Now, there's only one person that has changed in his circumstances like that, and that was Jesus Christ. 
Okay, and that's what we want to look at. There was this amazing evidence that we have that the tomb was absolutely empty. Let me tell you about that. Everyone agrees, even the enemies of Jesus, that the tomb was empty. Nobody argues that. Some say, however, that the followers of Jesus came and emptied the tomb themselves. That they took the body out. Somehow they get around to these guards that by threat of death, if the guards let anybody touch the tomb, they would be killed. So that's kind of weird. But then imagine this. Let's say you're those 12 Christ followers. And let's say they're going to back up this lie. Okay, it's a lie. Jesus didn't really die. We took his body. So what are you going to do? For the next 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life, you're going to follow up on that lie. You're going to do everything in your power to convince people that that lie was true. You're going to become a penniless, itinerant preacher. And all but one of you are going to die a martyr's death. Okay, what kind of sense does that make that somehow they would make up the story that Jesus Christ did not die? It just didn't happen. The best logical explanation... Uh, Luke, who says, is this. He rose from the dead. Everything else comes up, everything else you come up with doesn't hold intellectual muster. That's Sir William Lacou. So evidence number one, the empty tomb. Evidence number two, eyewitness testimony. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. I passed on to you what I received, which is of greatest importance. He says, it's of greatest importance. Now, those of you that are in school, and those of you that remember school, uh, okay, you know what? This is going to be on the final. Right? This is of greatest importance, <laughs> your teacher says. This is going to be on the final exam. And this is going to be on the final exam of life, Paul said. This is what he wrote. This is of great importance that Christ died for our sins, as is written in the scriptures, that he was buried and raised to life on the third day as it was written in the scriptures. And he appeared, Paul says, don't take my word for it. I would say to all of you, don't take my word for it. And he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers to the 12 disciples at the same time, most of whom are still living, to James, to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, Paul writes. 515 human beings said they saw, they touched, they felt, they saw Jesus Christ alive. 515 human beings. Now, if you were to line them up and give them 15 minutes of testimony each, Sunday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 128 hours of testimony would say, this happened. I saw him. I talked to him. I touched him. 515, and that's only the beginning. That's the tip of the iceberg. That was amazing to me. Personal eyewitness testimony. Evidence number three, the existence of of an energized church. Something happened 2,000 years ago. Everybody knows it. Our calendars and our clocks depend on it. Everybody knows that something happened 2,000 years ago. The church exploded. We've never seen a movement anywhere in the world at any time in history like the Church of Jesus Christ in the first 100 years. It went from zero to Jesus to 12 to 515 to hundreds of thousands by the end of the of the end of the first century and many of those were martyred for what a lie no because Jesus Christ was alive they saw him they knew him they felt him they talked to him Jesus Christ was alive the existence of this energized church one scholar put it this way the coming into existence of the church rips a hole in history the size and shape of the resurrection if you don't accept the resurrection, what do you propose to fill the gap with, right? Something happened. Now, something happened to Peter, one of the early leaders of the church. Peter became an absolute loser, a wimp, 
When it came time to stand up for Jesus, you know what happened? He denied him three times. He said, I never knew the guy. I never saw him. And he went off and he sobbed and he cried and he felt bad and he felt remorse. This guy was a wimp. He absolutely had no, no leverage in the early church. But guess what we see? We see after this time of the disciples gathering together, Peter emerges as a leader. Listen to what it says. Acts chapter 2. Then Peter stood up, the same wimp that denied Christ. Peter stood up, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this fact. This is the guy that was scared to death, right? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and listen, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added. That's the guy that was a wimp. Now he's proclaiming the good news. The church was energized, and it was an amazing explosion of God's presence in that first century. Something happened. There's one last, uh, one last evidence, and that's this, the existence of transformed lives. On our planet, there's 7 billion people. People estimate that about 1 billion of those are Christ followers. Something that's happened 2,000 years ago still carries this tremendous movement and this tremendous weight today. I am one of those who says, I have been transformed by the power of God. Tina was up here a few minutes ago. She is one that says, I have been transformed by the power of God. Many of you here this morning are saying, I have been transformed by the power of God. Prior to Easter, the disciples were a mess. They gathered in an upper room. The Bible says they were fearful. Why were they fearful? Because they were afraid that the Romans were going to come and take them and crucify them as well. They didn't know what was going on. Jesus promised a new kingdom. Now he's dead. Everything's over. We don't know what we're going to do. They were absolutely fearful. They went into that room fearful. And when they came out, they changed history. What happened in that room? What happened in that room? I'll tell you what happened. They met the living, resurrected Christ. Now, here's the evidence. All of those things, you can wrap those up in one last quote from Cambridge University, uh, the uh, Canon Westcott, his name is, and this is what he said after he looked at all of Luku's testimony. Indeed, taking all the evidence together, it is not too much to say that there is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's from Cambridge University, Canon Westcott. Every other religion who has had a leader, you can go to any of their graves, Muhammad, Joseph Smith, Buddha, you go to Christ's grave, it's empty. He is alive. So that's question number one. Is there evidence that Christ literally rose from the dead? The answer is absolutely, unequivocally, yes. Question number two, and this is more important to us today, and I think it's this. What difference does it make? So what? Most of you have born and raised in the United States. You've heard this story over and over again. So what? What kind of impact does it have on my life? Let me share with you real briefly what kind of impact it has on your life. The first thing the Easter story tells to you, the impact that it has on you is this, that you can have pardon from your past. <laughs> can you imagine that? You can have pardon from your past. You can have a do-over. You can have life like, like, like you get to start all over again. You can have a do-over, pardon from your past. That to me is amazing. Now, Raise your hand if you ever said anything that you wish you hadn't have said. Okay, good, good. And if guys, uh, guys that are married, raise your hand if when you started saying something, you said, oh, this isn't going to fly with my wife. You know, okay, yeah. Okay, mass confession. Okay, so we all know that we've got a problem. You know what's interesting? God specializes in brand new beginnings. 
That's what Easter's all about. Paul writes in Colossians 2, he has forgiven, listen to this, he has forgiven all our sins. Not some of your sins, not the little sins, he has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of debt we owed. Every record of debt. Every time you have done something wrong, it's like you wrote a debt down and all of those debts have been canceled. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. And the next verse I want to share with you explains this. You, you might be asking, okay, now, what if I say yes to God today? What if I say, okay, I understand the evidence and I understand that my life, I can be pardoned for my past, my sins can be forgiven. You know, what does that mean? Well, this verse explains it. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, it says, when you become a Christ follower, when any man or woman is a new person in Christ Jesus, some of you are new here today, and maybe this is the first time you've heard this, listen to what it says. The Bible says, you become a brand new person inside, inside. He is not the same anymore. A new life has begun. So when you say yes to God through Jesus Christ, it's like you begin a brand new life inside. Your sins are forgiven. Your debts are canceled. All of your past sins have been wiped out. Can you imagine that? God is promising that and offering that to you today. So we have pardon from my past. We also have power in the present. Notice this great verse from Paul. I pray that you will know how great his power is for those who, who have put their trust in him. How great his power is for those who have put their trust in him. It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Now, how many of you ever watched The World's Strongest Man on ESPN? Okay, con con confess it, I'm raising my hand. Okay, some of you are going like this. You know, 400-pound guys throwing Volkswagens around. You haven't seen power like Jesus Christ had. He had the power to touch a person's life and heal them from blindness. He had the power to heal broken bones. He had the power to heal them from disease. He had a power to overcome demons. He had a power in their lives to overcome sickness or anything else that would come before him. He had all of that power. And guess what? That power is available to you. He has the power to overcome divorce. He has the power to overcome a broken heart. He has the power to overcome any sin that you have committed in your life. He has that power and he wants to give you that power. It says right now. You can have freedom from your sins in the past. You can have your pardon. But in the present, you can have the power. And listen to this. You can have this power of the living God, and it can be yours just by saying yes to Jesus Christ. Pardon from your past. Present, power in your present. And the last thing is this. God promises that you will have a future. God's promise for the future. This is an amazing verse. Listen to this verse. Jesus said to her, he was speaking to a woman, Martha, whose brother Lazarus had just died, and Lazarus was a friend of uh, Jesus. And so he's speaking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say, I'm going to talk about the resurrection and the life. I'm not going to show you where the resurrection and the life is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. It's in me. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Did you know, if you say yes to Jesus, that not only your sins forgiven, not only you have power today, but in the future, your future has been set. Your future has been given to God, and you have eternity with him for all eternity in heaven. That's the promise of God if you believe in him. And then the last thing he asked Martha after he said this, he said this, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? And that would be my question for you today. 
Do you believe this? I mean, really? Come on. Do you believe that your past can be pardoned? You can have power in the present? And that you can have a, 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 a future that is so amazing that God is going to say, you can spend eternity with me? Do you believe it? He asked him. That my favorite Easter story, and I want to I close with this, is a baseball story. I love baseball. And um, a friend of mine, Ray Johnston, tells about growing up in the Midwest, in Iowa specifically, in a small town where baseball was king. He was eight years old, and Ray tells this story, of course, in the first person. He said, I, I was eight years old. I was the smallest kid on the team. I was the weakest kid on the team. I was the slowest kid on the team, and I was the worst baseball player on the team. But I weighed 13 pounds, and I had my uniform on, and I was ready to go. Now, 200 people from the community came to this baseball game, the first game of the season of Little League, including 60 members of my family. And they came from all over Iowa to see little Ray play baseball. And so here they are. All there. I am just sweating bullets. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not the worst guy on our team, and it's just terrible. Now, I played right field because... Nowhere in the history of Little League has anyone ever hit in a ball to right field. So that's why I was playing in right field. The first three times I got up, I struck out. In fact, I didn't even touch the ball. I didn't even come near the ball. And then it was the seventh and last inning. The bases were loaded, and the team was behind by one run. And I was up. <laughs> and I was terrified. And all the people on the bench were saying, pinch hit for him, pinch hit. But you don't do that in Little League. You let the kids play their game. And so here I am, I just don't have a clue what I'm going to do. And so I get up to the batter's plate, and I pick up my bat, and I just sing, God, please help me hit this ball. Somehow I want to hit this ball. And, and the pitcher gets and the pitcher was 10 years old, and it looks like he was six foot tall and had a full beard. That's what it looks like to, a, to an eight-year-old. And he throws the first ball, and I don't even see it, and, and it just hits the catcher's mitt like that. And the umpire goes, strike one! And I'm just terrified. What do I do now? So I step back in there and I, I take the bat and, and the, he pitches the ball again. And I didn't see it again. And it hits the catcher's mitt. And strike two, the umpire says. And now I don't know what to do. I step out of the batter's box because I don't want to swing the bat. And, and I, 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 I hit my bat on my shoes. I don't know why. I saw somebody else do that. And, <laughs> and then I made a huge mistake. I looked around me. And on one side I saw 200 adults and kids cheering and yelling and screaming for the other team. And they're saying, strike him out. Come on, he's not going to hit the ball. You can do that. And on the other side were 200 people cheering for me. Come on, you can do it, Ray. Come on, swing the bat. You can do it. And of those 200 people, 60 of them were my relatives. <laughs> the noise was deafening. The pitcher wound up. He threw the ball. I was still shaking, but I started to swing the bat even before he threw the ball because I, I knew I didn't have a chance otherwise. And and I saw the ball, and as I swung the bat, I, I missed. I heard the ball hit the catcher's mitt, and I heard the umpire say, strike three, you're out. Game over. Huge crowd of cheers erupted from the other side. And then on the other side where my family was, I, and I'll never forget this sound, this incredibly huge moan. Oh, just like that. I felt like a complete failure. I dropped the bat on home plate. I walked over the dugout, the longest walk of my life. It feel like, felt like it was 50 miles long. And I got into the dugout and I pulled my cap over my eyes, pulled my coat over my head, and I began to sob. And I sobbed and I sobbed and I cried. It was just the worst moment of my life. It was the last game of the day. 
the dust was settling and I could hear the gravel underneath the car tires as people pulled out of the parking lot. Then everything got quiet. I continued to sit there crying. I knew I would never ever recover from this failure. Then I heard a voice from the pitcher's mound. A voice said, hey son, get back up. The game ain't over. I didn't move. Then I heard it again, louder. Hey son, the game ain't over. I stopped and I said, what was that voice? And I heard it again. Hey, son, get up. The game ain't over. And then I saw, I took the cap off of my head and I closed over my eyes and I saw my dad out on the pitcher's mound. Big smile on his face, a mitt on his hand, a ball in his head. And he said, hey, son, come on over here. Get up. The game ain't over. So I walked back to the home plate and my bat was still laying there and I, I picked it up and I'll never forget the look on my dad's face. He said, come on, son, this one's for you. And he threw the ball right down the middle of the plate. Of course, I swung and I missed. I had no idea what I was doing. He, he threw about, about 15 pitches. And I looked out there in the outfield, and I saw my Aunt Emma in left field. <laughs> and my cousin Todd in center field. And, and blind Uncle Joe was in right field. He had no idea where he was. And there's kids running all over. All of my family was out there on the field. And my dad said, son, come on, concentrate. And he threw the ball nice and easy right over the plate. And I swung the bat and I hit the ball into left field. I just kind of stood there. My dad said, son, you got to start running. I said, I'd never done that before. <laughs> I, I didn't know where first base was. And I, I started running and as I rounded around first base, I saw Aunt Emma with the ball and she had no idea. She threw it to center field to my cousin Todd, and I got to second base, and I'm thinking, you know, I think I'm going to score. I think I can do this. And, and when they threw the ball to blind Uncle Joe, I knew I was going to score. And, and at this point, I thought, okay, this is like a conspiracy of grace. And I didn't know what it was, and I didn't know what that meant, but I just knew there was something going on there. And, and I got about 10 feet from home plate, and I dove, and I slid, and the dust came up, and I went past home plate. And I saw my dad down on one knee, so he's the same level with me, about five feet from me. And he said, son, you're home safe. You're home safe. I told you the game ain't over. You're home safe. And, and I went over there and I hugged him. And my dad said, my dad said, son, I love you. Look out of here. This is your family. This is a place where you can be who you are. I love you. The game ain't over. Well, my family came and they put me up on their shoulders and they marched me off the field and it was the first time I felt good about myself in four hours. <laughs> you know, that's the message of Easter. Some of you walked in here today convinced that um, the game was over. That you'd struck out so many times, you had tried so many times to live a good life and you'd failed every single time. And you feel like there's just nothing left. But here's the promise of the resurrection. The promise is this. The game's not over. The rest of your life can be the best of your life. It can start today. The game's not over. Get up. Just like Jesus Christ did 2,000 years ago. He got up. The game wasn't over. And it'll be the same thing in your life. You can experience forgiveness of sins. You can experience power in your life today. And you can experience a future that holds no remorse. The game ain't over. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed and eye closed. I, I believe that there are some of you here today who would say, 
Pastor, that's exactly what I feel like. I feel like my life is over. I feel like I'm dead. I feel like I have nothing to give. I've failed so many times. I just don't know what I'm going to do. But here's the good news. And Jesus proved it by coming back from the dead. Your life can be transformed today. Now. In this moment. The Bible says that God is near to a broken heart. God is near to a sinner who says, Lord, I am sorry. And for those of you here this morning who would say, Pastor Dwayne, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I don't want the game to be over. I want the rest of my life to be the best of my life. And I want to invite Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior to come into my heart, to give me forgiveness of sins, to give me power in the now, and to know that I will spend eternity with Him forever. I want that in my life today. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me, not out loud, but simply in the quietness of your own heart to pray this prayer with me. Again, there's nothing magical about the prayer. It's your words in your heart as you are speaking to God. So pray with me this prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was, and he proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. Now, with all of your heads still bowed and your eyes closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I want to pray for you. And so I'm going to ask everybody else to keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed, but I would love for you that prayed this prayer to raise your hand, and when you raise your hand, look up at me and just make eye contact with me. Do that right now. Raise your hand and look up at me. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Many over here, God bless you, hon. God bless you there. Others, God bless you, hon. God bless you. Others, just raise your hand up. Look at me right in the eye. God bless you. God bless you there. Others, this is the best day of your life, and it's for the rest of your life. Anyone else that prayed that prayer? Father, we are in the presence of a miracle. People who by faith have passed from darkness to light, from death to life right before our eyes and we thank you and we praise you father for this gift to this miracle lord i pray that each one of them who made this decision to say today would follow you would follow you hard after you follow your heart follow your love follow your spirit father thank you for the blessing of this word thank you for the blessing of this day and may jesus christ once again reign in our lives and every day And may every day of our lives be the best day of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people together said, amen. Amen. Amen.